We are going through the Old Testament. It'll take about a year. We're going to finish Genesis today. That means we start Exodus next week. Read ahead. That's the way you'll learn and you'll grow. And we're going to look at Joseph's story. Chapter 37, verse 1. It said, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger. That land was Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. Remember, there's Rachel, uh, there's Leah, and then he has two concubines, 13 kids. This is a dysfunctional family. And Joseph brought a bad report to his father. He's either a tattletale or he's a great manager. You decide. Now, Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children. This favoritism just won't go away. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. The coat was signifying he would be the heir. He would be entitled to the the land, etc. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Your translation might say they envied him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Hey, guys, you got to hear this dream. It's amazing. Uh, There we were. We were all in the field binding our sheaves. Behold, my sheaf arose. It was taller than all your sheaves. And uh, all of you guys bowed down to me. Isn't that great? Uh, They didn't think so. And it says they hated him even more now for his dreams and his words. And then he dreamed another dream, told his brothers and said, look, now I have another dream. This time the sun, the moon, the stars. Isn't this great? Everybody's bowing down to me. And he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him, saying, What is this you are dreaming? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to you? And one day they will. And his brothers hated him, but his father pondered all these things. Um, Gosh, even I forget that Joseph is in Genesis. It's, It's pretty remarkable. Uh, Genesis has these wonderful stories, these narratives, right? So you start out in Genesis 1 and 2, and you have this amazing creation narrative. And we're kind of all locked in there in Genesis 1 and 2 because we have all these questions about the origin of the universe and the origin of man. And and there's science in there. And people want to know, like, uh, is, is it six literal days? Were they epics of time? Did God use evolution? So we generally lock into this creation narrative, right? Then the fall is a big chunk of what we believe. You know, there's ripples of the fall down to our age where people still want to be like God, still want to be the arbiters of good and evil. Then we get to the flood, and there's so much in the flood, right? You got Noah, the ark, the animals, there's science again. And so, uh, again, we spend so much time on a very large narrative. And then comes along maybe the greatest figure in Genesis, Abraham. And he's followed by Isaac and then Jacob. You throw in the Tower of Babel and a few more stories, you almost forget that Joseph is in Genesis. And yet, 25% of this book, 25% of the book of Genesis, holds for us Joseph's story, 14 chapters. Now, I don't know what that tells you, but it tells me something here is very important. There's something we need to understand. And when we look at Joseph, he's unique. There's something different about him than everybody else. Unlike almost every other character we have studied in Genesis, we get almost no blemish on Joseph's record. 
Uh, no grievous sin. He never disobeys God at any high level. Now, look, he's a sinner like everybody else, but he's got this stellar character. Now, in some ways, I wish he was more humble, right? And granted, he's 17, but FYI, if you are the favored son and the 10 brothers before you all get their clothes at Target and your dad lets you shop at Nordstrom's, don't parade around, right? And if you get a dream where one day everybody's going to bow down to you, don't tell anybody. Tell the kids down the street. Don't tell your family, right? But in general, Joseph is very unique, and the Holy Spirit never gives us any of his flaws. He's also unique in this. Unlike everyone else we've been tracking with, he never sees an angel. You know, unlike Abraham, his great-great-grandfather, God never speaks to him audibly, uh, he never sees anything. He never wrestles with the angel like his father, Jacob. In many ways, he's like you and me. In many ways, he's trying to figure out life. Uh, because we don't see a lot of his flaws, many people think he's like Christ. He's a type of Christ. And, you know, we're finding Jesus on every page here. I think Joseph, as a portrait of Christ, is a little bit of a stretch, actually. Uh, we'll show you some of the similarities. I think he's more like you and me than we think. And, and one of the things I, I just appreciate about his story is this. When you look at life, at least as I observed it, generally you don't wind up where you started. That's what makes life interesting. You know, you start in one place, but where you wind up is almost improbable sometimes. Uh, I think of Michelle Obama. I was reading her autobiography one day, Becoming. And she grew up on the south side of Chicago and she had this one aspiration in life. This was her only dream, that she would one day walk downstairs on Christmas morning. And I really resonated with that because I grew up in a twin in Philadelphia, and my bedroom was on the floor where the living room was. So I would watch all the same, you know, holiday movies and one day wish I could walk down to presents. But I wonder if Michelle Obama ever thought the stairs she would walk down would be the White House stairs. See, that's where life can take you. Or I think about Corey Ten Boom. Uh, some of you may have never heard of her. Uh, most people would have never heard of she nor her family. They lived in Germany during the Holocaust. They were a God-fearing family, so like a lot of families in that era, they hid Jews in their basement to keep them from extermination camps. And one day the police found out, and her family was taken to Ravensbrück Prison, where one day they would die. And I remember reading in her book about how her sister had really lost her faith in God. How could God do this to them? And uh, Corey Ten Boom looked her sister in the eye and she said, when God wrote the story of our lives, he put over it Ravensbrook Prison. Now she got out on a technicality. She wound up in her latter years, 60, 70, 80 years old. She was called the tramp for the Lord. She traveled the world telling people about the gospel. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. It was turned into a movie and I... Thousands came to faith because of her. Did Bill Gates ever think he'd be the richest man in the world? Did Jorge Mario Bellagio, as a boy in Buenos Aires, ever think he'd be Pope Francis and lead a billion people? See, where you wind up is not always where you started. And this is where Joseph's story becomes real to all of us. At 17 years old, he's the favored son of Jacob. His life is very predictable before him. But one day he'd be prime minister in the greatest superpower the world knew, Egypt. 
Could Joseph ever comprehend that? In fact, could he ever comprehend what would happen in between? He would literally go from his father's house to the pits of slavery, to the palace of Potiphar, to prison, and finally, prime minister. And there's a phrase that I'm going to bring out over and over again in Scripture, and it's Joseph's story, and it's our story. And wherever he goes, from the pits to the palace, there's this phrase, and God was with him. And God was with him. And he's with you, and he's with me. And listen, Joseph didn't have a Bible. He never celebrated Christmas. He never went to a Christmas Eve story where Mary was told, this son shall be born as Emmanuel, and it will be God with us. He doesn't have Isaiah's uh, prophecy. He doesn't have any of the things you and I have. He doesn't know every hair on his head is numbered. But the story of his life is that God was with him. God is writing our stories, people. The New Testament says we are his workmanship. Uh, That translation is poems. We are his poems, but we're being read by all men. There's a story God wants to tell through you and me. And I think Joseph's story is going to show us a lot of how that works. Abraham Joshua Heschel said, Faith is not clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. Audacious longing, burning songs, daring thoughts, an impulse overwhelming the heart, usurping the mind. These are all a drive toward loving the one who rings our hearts like a bell. God rings our hearts like a bell. God is moving us. He's leading us to a place. And it's different from every one of us. And so I want to look at Joseph's story. I want to make it our story. And it begins here. And it starts with a dream, right? Uh, So much of life begins with a dream. Verse 5, he has this dream. He has another dream. In fact, he's going to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And one of the great questions to begin with are dreams from God. Uh, You might hear a lot of people around here say, man, I had a dream, and this is what God told me. And so people always want to know, are dreams from God? Listen, dreams can be from God, right? So I believe in prophetic dreams. I've had scores of people over the years come to me and say, Pastor Bob, you were in my dream. That's really weird, but can I tell you my dream? And they'll tell me a dream, and it's like so spot on for what I'm going through And and you might wonder, why does God do this? Well, sometimes God wants to remind us he's involved in the affairs of our life. You know, I have a Bible, I can read my Bible, but sometimes God just uses dreams. Sometimes they're prophetic. Sometimes they kind of give us an insight in the future or, or something we're going through. That makes them prophetic. So there are prophetic dreams. Then there are pathetic dreams, okay? You know what they are? That's where like somebody dreams every night. And they have a dream for the waitress and a, and a dream for the nurse and a dream for everybody. And, and they know who the Antichrist is and the end of the world. And it's like, and, and dreams come above the Bible. That's when it gets pathetic, and I've seen that. But dreams are from God. How do I know? Because in Acts chapter 2, when Peter stood up and gave the first sermon after the Spirit had fell, he said, guys, Joel talked about this. That in the last days, that's the days you and I are living in, this is what God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Dreams are from God. They can be prophetic. 
And Joseph has a prophetic dream. One day, his entire family is going to bow down and serve him. Now, he's 17, right? Boy, wouldn't you love to be 17 again? For those of you who are 17, oh my gosh. So much possibility in front of you. But you need wisdom, right? So he does what anybody does. He's spouting off his dreams. He's telling everybody, and they hate him. Uh, By the way, Colossians, Paul said, and Paul was in the third heaven, he said, let no one cheat you of your reward, going into details about worship of angels and visions and dreams, and, you know, the anchor is Christ, right? But Joseph has these dreams and tells everybody these dreams, and the wind-up is they hate this guy. One day they do something about it. Look down at verse 23. Came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic, the coat of many colors. They took him and cast him into a pit. It's a cistern, a place where water was kept. It was empty. And they sat down and they ate a meal and they lifted their eyes. And they're like, wow, we can make some money out of this deal. And they saw Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with camels and spices and myrrhs. And they sold him into slavery. Boy, you can get in the pits really fast, can't you? I mean, one day you're serving God, you got a coat of many colors, you just came home from the men's retreat or the women's retreat, and life's in the pits. I've been there, you've been there, even as Christians, you can be in the pits. And it's so easy to get discouraged, right? First question pops in your head is, man, I did everything. I'm serving God, checked all the boxes. Why is this happening to me? And this is the way life goes, guys. The ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, the hills and valleys, right? You know, we're all going to travel these roads. And every now and again, you're going to find yourself in the pits. There's a God working, however. This is fascinating. It doesn't say yet that God was with Joseph, but he is. Because there's a God who's working through free will and sovereignty. And as much as man wants to button it up, You know, God has to work through it. And here's how God works through it. Look at the last verse of chapter 37. Now, the Midianites sold him to Egypt to a man named Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. Chapter 39, verse 1, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, was an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, this Egyptian. Joseph could have been sold to any other master, and yet God makes sure he winds up in Potiphar's house. You know what that tells you and me? Uh, There are some things in life we have no control of. You may find yourself in a circumstance, uh, a very unfortunate thing, that you had no, nothing to do with. Now, sometimes we get in the pits because we're stupid. Yeah, me, you, right? Bad decisions and all. But, but sometimes you're there through no fault of your own. It's not where you find yourself. It's what you do with the opportunity. And Joseph's going to discover, and I don't know if he knows it right now, that God is with him. And he winds up in Potiphar's house, and uh, he begins to work for Potiphar. Look at verse 3. When Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper, 
Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Potiphar made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. It goes on to say he gave Joseph so much control that Potiphar had no idea what was going on. He made him a steward. All Potiphar did was show up for the evening meal. Wow. You got to think about this. Joseph comes into a foreign land. He doesn't know the language. He winds up in Potiphar's house. And did you ever think about this? For 17 years, he's been in Canaan. Canaan is a gnarly place. It really is. Um, He's in Egypt now. For 17 years, he's heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God who has no representation. And now he sees the splendor of Egypt. Right? And he looks at the Nile, which is like the economic engine of the ancient world and the lush and verdant valleys that it waters. He sees pyramids and there's literature. And there has to be a questioning of his mind. I was raised one way and now I'm looking at these people who are far superior than us. By the way, they have 1,500 gods. And I'm sure he's going through all the gyrations that some of our college students go through when they get on a college campus. Raised in the church, raised that the Bible's true. They go into a college campus, they hear about evolution, they hear that God's not real, they hear they can make a lot of money. And yet somehow, Joseph excels. Joseph holds on to his faith, like Daniel, like Nehemiah, so many others. He never has a victim mentality. He becomes a steward in this house because there's something special about him. Now, this has a lot of application to us. Uh, Most of us are called to work in the marketplace. Jesus said we have to be in the world and not of it. We have to be salt and light. I believe Christians should excel wherever they go. Why? Because the average person doesn't have the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a wonderful book that tells us how we should act. We have Christian character, hopefully, right? Um, As someone who hires people, and my family has hired people in business, listen, competency is everywhere, right? You can find competency. You know what's really hard to find? Character. My mom owned a restaurant. In the restaurant business, if you can find someone who doesn't steal, you hire that person. It's at a premium. Christians should excel at everything they do. Because there's something about our character, there's something about our life. Uh, Now, you don't go to work and witness all day, all right? That's not what they're paying you to do. They're paying you to work, okay? That's how you're going to rise above the rest. I've seen people witness all day. Doesn't work. Excel at what you do and God will raise you up. Here's the idea. Joseph wasn't waiting for his ship to come in. He put his hand at what was right in front of him, and he began to excel. Now, it says that he was handsome. Uh, That's not a good thing for the situation he's going to find himself in. Now, Potiphar had a wife, and the wife came and said to him, lie with me. Oh, boy. Uh, this can happen in the marketplace, right? Uh, I worked for a Fortune 500 company for 12 years. And by the way, it can happen in church. It can happen anywhere. But you go to work and everybody's dressed up. Everybody's on their best behavior. And, you know, there, there's no little kids running around. No stress of life. The dishes aren't piled up. And 
Oh my gosh, temptation's real, right? And uh, Joseph hits it. Here he is, he's trusted by Potiphar, and I think Potiphar's wife was gorgeous or it would have been a temptation, right? Just like Eve had the fruit and it was, can make one wise and appealing to the eyes, I think she was all that. And listen, uh, he had a thousand reasons to succumb to her. Think about it. Look what my brothers did to me. You know, now I'm in this palace, I got a roof over my head, and my master will never know, right? No one will ever know. And look what he does. The next verse says, he refused. 27 years, you know how many excuses I've heard? Pastor Bob, you don't know what it's like to be 25 or 27. Like, yeah, I was never there. Oh, you don't know what it's like. You know, my wife doesn't give me the attention I need. Or my husband doesn't talk to me about things that are real. You know, I've heard every excuse you can imagine. Joseph refused. Just like Jesus refused, just like you and I can refuse. He does something that David, the man after God's own heart, couldn't even do. David gave in. Samson gave in. So many have given in. So many fallen leaders today. He never gives in. He refused, and look what he says. How can I sin against my master, that's Potiphar, and against God? Now, this is remarkable. There's no Ten Commandments yet. Uh, there's no commandment against adultery, although, you know, I, I have to believe that it was talked about in his family. He doesn't have the book of Proverbs that talks about the woman with flattering words. He doesn't have anything that you and I have. But in him burns the spirit of the living God. He, he's a man that lives by values. And he understands that there's a right way to live. And in a foreign land where everything's against him, he refused. And I look at this and I think it's so remarkable. And, and I think about how God honors this. You know, the Bible says that there's one thing that's required of stewards and it's faithfulness. A steward understands that all that he has comes from God. And, and, and Joseph realizes that he can't step over this boundary. Now, he refuses her several times and you have to be aware of a woman's scorn, right? So she sets up this encounter uh, Joseph refuses, she rips his garment, goes to her husband, says, look, this guy tried to rape me. I'm sure Potiphar's been through this before. There's nothing he can do. And you look at verse 20 of chapter 39, Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in sight of the keeper of the guard, and the keeper of the guard committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. This is unbelievable. Whatever they did, and the keeper of the prison, he didn't know anything that was going on in the prison because now Joseph's in charge of the prison. Is this unbelievable? Now he's excelling in prison. And there's a word you may have missed here. He served them. Remember his dream at 17? Everybody's going to bow down and serve him. And just like Jacob had to be deceived and go to character school to understand what it's like, now Joseph goes to character school and he learns what it's like to serve others, others less fortunate than he. Uh, there's an old school Calvary Chapel saying we have 
that when people come here, they're like, man, I love what God's doing here. I want to get involved. And reflexively, we used to say this. We don't say it much anymore. We're like, great, we have an opening in the nursery for you. Now, we've come a little farther. We realize there's gifts and talents, and we want to slot you where you belong. Uh, But there was a lot of wisdom behind this, right? Somebody walks in, I'm a CEO, and where can I serve? And we're like, yeah, we got opening in the nursery. And it really was like a humility test, right? Can I tell you my nursery story? Because I've worked in nursery. I was at a Calvary. I was in my 20s. And I was in the nursery. And uh, if you know anything about the nursery, like the cries of Egypt go out from the beginning. But right in the middle, the kids settle down, right? And there were several of us in there, but I was working with this one woman. And I said, hey, what's your, how'd you get here? What's your story? She said, um... I was raised a Christian, and I married a guy who wasn't a Christian, and we had two kids. We had the perfect family. Um, um, just everything was perfect. And I got in a car accident, and I was the only one that lived. My husband and two kids both died in that accident. And I went through a horrific time. But the Lord is restored. I remarried. Now I have two other kids. Um, now we have this wonderful Christian family. So I get in the car after church. I asked my wife, how was church? She said it was great. I said it wasn't greater than the church I had in the nursery. Because I heard a story I'll never forget. About how God is with us. Isn't this remarkable? Joseph's learning something now. He's learning how to serve. Joseph did all the right things. He refused to cave in the sin. And for that, he's put in prison. How's that make you feel about your life? Right? Uh, if I had a dollar for everybody who walked this aisle and said, Pastor Bob, I'm mad at God because here's what's going on. I did all the right things. I waited. I did this. I did that. Can we get over all that once and for all? There's no verse in the Bible that says, Do everything supposedly the right way and everything will work out for you. There is no verse. There is a verse that says God will be with you. And Joseph finds himself in prison for doing the right thing. And in life, we're going to find ourselves in places that we never long to go. Uh, It's not all by God's design. It just says God's with us. Again, it's not what happens to us, it's what do we do with the opportunity. Once again, he excels. He begins to serve the butler and the baker. Pharaoh got mad at them. Uh, They're put in the prison. And uh, these guys start dreaming. And Joseph's like, I know a few things about this dream thing. Uh, Let me give my shot at interpretation. So for the one guy, it's good, right? Uh, You're going to get out of here. And the other guy, uh, not so good. You're going to get your head chopped off. And uh, he tells the one guy, look, when you get out of here... Remind Pharaoh that I'm here. Uh, The guy gets out, he's restored, but he never tells anybody about Joseph. Joseph goes two long years in prison, two years. Imagine all the wrestling with God. Where's God in all of this? I've done everything right. Uh, But once again, God is working behind the scenes. Uh, One day, Pharaoh has a dream. And you know the dream. If I was dream, uh, there's these uh, seven uh, 
animals that are real healthy, and then there's seven that are real lean. And it's driving Pharaoh crazy. None of his counselors can tell him this dream, these seven cows that are fat and lean. And finally, this guy pops up and says, wait a second, when I was in prison, there was a guy, the spirit of God was on him. He can interpret dreams. Pharaoh goes, let's call the guy. And they called Joseph in, and Joseph said, man, I, gosh, I know what this dream is. God's revealed it to me. There's going to be seven years of plenty. In other words, there's going to be more grain in Egypt than you've ever seen. And then there's going to be seven lean years. There's going to be a famine over all the world. So if I were you, I'd take somebody who's really smart, put them in like the grain restoration program, and uh, figure out what to do in the seven you know, prosperous years, and then you'll make it in the seven lean years. In fact, people will come from all over the world. Pharaoh says, you know, I think the guy I want is you. Chapter 41, verse 37, the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this man who is the spirit of God? They're all like, no. Pharaoh said to Joseph, and as much as God has shown you this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house. And all the people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater. This is unbelievable. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've set all of Egypt before you. He takes his signet ring and he clothes Joseph, puts a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride second chariot behind him. And they cried out and said, bow the knee. And he set him all over, all over Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no man can lift his hand or foot against Egypt. This is just so improbable. He's now the prime minister of Egypt. Now, it's been about 13 years. He's 30 years old now. This is why there's similarities to Jesus. Jesus was 30 when he went into the ministry. 17 long years have gone by. And God's done a work in Joseph. Not only is he excelling everywhere he goes. Uh, look at the next several verses. Um, He's given an Egyptian wife, and they have two children. And here's how I know God is working. Look at the names of his children. Kind of gives us insight into his character. The first is called Manasseh, because God has helped me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's house. Wow. God has erased all of my troubles. And, and, And it's not... You know, wow, my troubles are over. It's almost like Joseph is beginning to understand that God is working behind the scenes. Like Esther, that I was born for such a time as this. There's like this repentance in him. There's whatever hatred he had. He's starting to put all the pieces together. And then he names the next one Ephraim. God has given me children in a land where I've been treated harshly. Some of us need to look at that. What he's saying is you can flourish in any community, whatever hand you've been dealt. Wherever you have been, whoever's treated you a certain way, it's not so much looking backwards. Joseph said, with God you can look forward. There's a God who will make all these things right. Uh, So many of us carry around guilt and shame for the things we've done. Some of us hold on to bitterness. Joseph's starting to let all that go. Now, there's one final thing that needs to happen. One final restoration to put all this together is Joseph 
needs to forgive his brothers. And guys, forgiveness is a big part of our faith, isn't it? I mean, we are the ones who have been forgiven. And that's why the New Testament speaks so much about forgiveness in, in, in that, that he who is forgiven much does what? Class, loves much, right? I mean, that's the beauty of the cross, right? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's why Jesus told parable, a parable about, my gosh, if you've been forgiven this much, how can you hold any bitterness against anyone else? It's kind of the logic of the cross. So one thing left to do is to forgive these men who put him in the slavery, took away his life. C.S. Lewis said, everyone loves the idea of forgiveness until there's someone they have to forgive. Everybody thinks forgiveness is wonderful. We love the movies, the stories, until someone is right in front of us. Famine comes to Canaan. Jacob said, I hear there's bread in Egypt. So he sends his sons. He, he, he keeps Benjamin. Benjamin's the youngest. He doesn't want to lose Joseph and Benjamin. And they come, and Joseph recognizes his brothers, right? It's, it's been 12 or 13 years. However, they don't recognize him. Why? Well, you've seen all these Egyptian movies, right? They shave their heads. They have mascara. Uh, they wear gold. Uh, there's no way they would know this is Joseph. He speaks Egyptian by now. But Joseph knows it's them. He said, you guys are spies. And he puts them in jail. So, so they put him in prison. Now he puts them in prison. And I wonder what's going on for these three days. What's going on in his heart? And um, he fills their sacks with grain. And he says, you guys go back. I'm going to keep one of the brothers. And you bring back your youngest brother. He wants to see Benjamin. So they go home to Jacob. They say, oh, here we have this grain. And when they go into the sack, they find that in the grain is the money they brought to purchase the grain. Now they think they're in bigger trouble. They think, oh, my gosh, Joseph's going to think, uh, not only did we come to get this grain, but we kind of stole our money back. So they never go back. The problem is they run out of grain again. So now they take Benjamin and they go back to Joseph. And Joseph has a dinner. And he sits at one table and he's got an interpreter. He understands everything they're saying, by the way. And he seats them. He has the palace guards seat them at a table, the 11 brothers, in birth order. That might not mean anything to you, but if you had 11 brothers and somebody sat you down in exactly the right order, you'd think something was up, right? By the way, I got an A in statistics. And I, I love probability. You know what the odds of you, let's say at Thanksgiving, sitting 11 people you don't know in birth order is? 40 million to one. 40 million to one. So they're like, something's up, Right? And uh, David kind of jerks them around a little, and then he can't take it anymore. And finally, in chapter 45, when Joseph could not restrain himself any longer, he cried out, made everybody leave the room except his brothers. And verse 2 says, he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and all the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. Think about it. Like he's long gone. He's dead. He looks like it. This is impossible. They were dismayed by his presence. 
Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Look, it's me. So they came near and they said, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. And they're like, here it comes. Here it comes. You guys sold me into slavery and they're thinking, we're done. God's going to get even with us. And look what he says. This is, this is so good. Verse 5. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God is the one who sent me here to preserve life. For these two years of the famine that I've been the lamb, and there's still more years to come, there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and to save our lives. So now... It was not you who sent me here, but God, and he made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of this house and ruler in Egypt. Hurry and go get my father. He said, what you have designed for evil, God has designed for good. Can anybody this morning find application in that? Wow. Wow. Let's look at the brothers for a minute. God, he said, guys, don't be angry. Don't beat yourself up. And I'm sure they had. How could you throw a brother into slavery and not wonder why you had done that? Not feel the guilt and the pain. One of the beautiful things about Christianity is that, you know, the guilt is something that should be gone at conversion. And then there's repentance. Far too many Christians carry guilt with them all of their lives for the things they've done. The beauty of Christianity is, you know, the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. All the people you stole from, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's why there's these wonderful testimonies, whether you've had an abortion or or, or you've committed adultery, whatever you've done, there's freedom at the cross and we need to live in that freedom. The whole book of Galatians talks about this. And by the way, The person who writes a third of the New Testament, who we think is this brilliant scholar, Paul, was a murderer. He was murdering Christians before his conversion. And Paul was able to walk in freedom and grace, and so should you, and so should I. Joseph said, guys, don't hold on to this, because I'm not holding on to it. I'm free. God's been behind this from day one. That dream I had at 17, I never know the little paths I would take, but God was in this. Can you look at your life and say God was in this? Can you look at some of the shipwreck moments? Can you look at some of the moments where you were in the pits and still put the pieces together? Maybe you can't. Maybe it'll take some more time. There is a God who's writing your life. The Bible says we are his poems. We are his workmanship. We're being read by all men. So so I think Joseph helps you and me, but I think there's something even greater going on here. In some ways, he's showing us the future of the nation he's been called to preserve, the nation of Israel, and people groups for all time. You know, horrific things have been done to people groups in all of history, right? Now, we're in this cultural moment where where we're looking at some things that happened in America. Guys, this has been going on for thousands of years. And yet there is a God running a thread through all of history. 
Uh, Dennis Prager said this. He said, the story of Joseph is a paradigm of the Jewish experience. He parallels Joseph being thrown in a pit, sold into slavery. He said, the Jews are persecuted. The moment they're uh, emancipated, they achieve social and professional success. Then they're subjugated again. And when given another chance, they rise again. Like Joseph, the Jewish people have been remarkably successful in foreign lands. The primary reason has been the Jews value strong and stable families, near universal marriage and children, near universal literacy, even among women, emphasis on life of the mind, delaying gratification, an aversion to violence. These values ultimately derive from the Torah and later Judaism. There is no other way to explain the success and, more importantly, the influence of the Jews, one of the world's smallest peoples. Regarding their influence, Winston Churchill wrote this in 1920. We owe to the Jews a system of ethics which, even if we entirely separate it from the supernatural or God, would be incomparably the most precious possession of mankind. That's saying a lot. Worth, in fact, the fruits of all wisdom and learning put together. On that system and by that faith there has been built one of the wreck of the Roman Empire the whole of our existing civilization. Wow. Wow. Holocaust produced the land of Israel. They never went back to the Germans and said, build Israel for us. They took that opportunity and built them. I don't know if you know this, but Uh, when Lincoln freed the slaves, there was like a 15-year period, if you've never read about it, one of the greatest revivals in history is that that freed slaves began to worship the God of their oppressor. It's one of the great revivals in history. God has done this. There has been an exodus all through history, and that's where we're going. As we look at the great emancipator, Moses. Listen, We all start it somewhere. But where we wind up, I hope we can look back and say, wow, what a journey. What a journey God planned. He was with me all the way. And this is what makes life very interesting. You never know what a day might bring. You never know where God's going to take us. We we have no idea what's going on, but there is a God who is with us.